This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 162 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Life interfered with us getting a podcast out last week. A little busy, lots of stuff going on, but we are glad to be back. We're going to begin this week by touching on some of the transfer news and football that's come across the Georgia State program in recent weeks. And then we'll dive into the recent results of the men's basketball team as they snapped a three-game losing streak in emphatic fashion by dropping 100 points on Coastal Carolina last Saturday. But first, in football news, wide receiver Jamari Thrash enters the portal, commits to Louisville. Safety Antavius Lane announces his new destination as UNC after previously going portaling. And uh, yeah, there's a lot to discuss here, gentlemen. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is just the thrash timing of it. I think everyone, and you'd be forgiven if you're listening to this and had the same thought, kind of thought they were past it. Or maybe you didn't think you're past it based on the season going bad. And if you're, you know, glass half empty, glass half full, depends on your view on things. But because he didn't go to the portal right away, it felt like maybe he was staying. I thought some of what he had said in the regular season finale or after the regular season finale, it sounded like he was in the place where he was ready to run it back. But obviously, on a delayed fuse, decided to enter the portal. And I think it worked out really well for him timing-wise because he was kind of the guy after some other players had already made their commitments in those early weeks. He visits Auburn, he visits Louisville, and commits to Louisville thereafter. And the only thing on just the transfer story side of it, just with him choosing Louisville, I guess I was a little surprised at first because Auburn is obviously the SEC school has won a national title in the last decade or thereabouts. And so I kind of figured they'd have the leg up, but it does make sense for him as a wide receiver Um, at Purdue. Jeff Brom, the new Louisville coach, has had a thousand yard receiver every season since 2018, with the exception of the COVID year in 2020 when Purdue only played six games. So it would have been nigh on impossible to get a thousand yard receiver that year. But if it was a 12 game season that year, that their leading receiver that season was on pace for it. So it basically counts as every season since 2018. They've had a thousand yard receiver. Um, really emphasize the pass game. And so I don't know if he's necessarily going to be the featured guy up there in Louisville. But I think he's going to be in an offense that's going to feature the passing game in general. And I think that appealed to him. He obviously made the move and he's going to be in the ACC next year playing for the Cardinals. Yeah, you know, obviously I wish him well um, and it sucks. But I I think the the part of it that sucks to me is not just that Georgia State is losing a really talented wide receiver. It's that, you know, Thrash was kind of the biggest spot for optimism that Georgia State had in the 2022 season. And, you know, optimism has kind of been hard to come by during this offseason, which is rough. And I, I don't think that that's something that, you know, Georgia State fans have kind of experienced in the last few off seasons. Um, you know, with the continued bowl success, continued trips to bowl games, you know, the expectations for Georgia State football have increased and rightfully so you know like it is obviously a good thing to have expectations um but thrash was one of the few bright spots from the 2022 team and like you mentioned um early on in what you said it seemed like we had moved past the period where okay he was gonna go but i 
see, I, I struggle with it because if you've got a guy who puts in the work, who does and gets the good statistics and, you know, he ends up going to a power five. I mean, isn't this what you want? Like you want your school to be at a point where they can just develop talent. Like thrash kind of came out of nowhere. Like obviously he's always been good for Georgia state, but last year was easily his best season. And, you know, part of that is just kind of a philosophical thing with how Georgia state runs their offenses. And part of that was their success running the ball. Part of that was, you know, some guys not being as capable at receiver and, you know, throwing the ball in certain games and situations. But I mean, we're talking about a guy who had less than 500 yards in 2021 to over a thousand last year. That's not nothing like in a thousand and less games too, you know? So I just, if Georgia state is going to be where we want them to be anyways, they're going to have to always identify guys who can, pop like that you know and it puts pressure on the team and you know kind of putting a pin on it there might not be a a specific point of optimism but they're just gonna have to find good receivers and they're just gonna have to find a good passing attack and you know replace some of these guys that they've lost to the portal yeah and it does move to where you're gonna need to go get a wide receiver now and they obviously added one who we're gonna talk about shortly but I, I think you're gonna have to still find someone maybe after spring practice clears and someone at a power conference school maybe doesn't see his path to playing time and decides to leave uh i still think losing thrash you know you have cradle coming back you have lewis coming back who both showed real flashes you've added some already in this uh offseason jakari carter from merrimack at the fcs level seems like as a slot guy, he could come in and contribute, make some plays happen. But given you're losing the literal best receiver in the Sun Belt by the statistics last year, I think you'd feel more comfortable heading into Rhode Island game, adding someone with some kind of flashy, you know, whether it's former four star or whatever, putting up the numbers. I still think that you're going to have to go add to the room. So we'll see what happens with that. And yeah, I mean, I think. It's as we sit here, kind of the big best players for the 2022 team that didn't exhaust their eligibility. A lot of them, you know, four of them left and chose other places and chose power conference places and got picked out by power conference coaches as, hey, I want to add that guy to my program, which is a testament to the development that went on here with those guys because off the top of my head, I don't think any of them or three-star recruits even on 24-7 sports. I know that Gore was like a 78. He was like a high two-star. I think Hitstick, who's at UNC now, about the same place. Maybe he ticked up into the three-star. Good development. And when you have good players and with the portal is as it it is now, there's always the risk that you're going to lose guys. I guess the age old is go back to winning next year and, Maybe that's the golden ticket to keeping guys to staying. We can't, you know, know how the season, the offseason would have gone if they went eight and four instead of four and eight. We can't rule out a factor, the fact that it was a losing team this year. But we also, I think the reality is we don't know in the new landscape where these opportunities are going to be there, especially with NIL, where, you know, if they have a winning season next year and there's another guy who flashes up, he might still leave, even though the going has been good in Atlanta. 
uh, just because the new reality and it's kind of something G5 programs and G5 coaches are having to reckon with. And I think they more than anyone will be happy when the portal kind of finds its rhythm where it's not nearly the total free for all it is now because it's definitely not good for players who get left in the twisting in the wind without a new place. And it's not good for you know, programs like this where losing some really talented players in the offseason when the last thing you needed was any more pessimism after the year that you had. Uh, so we'll kind of see how that goes. I'm interested to see hit stick at UNC. Their defense, obviously, is kind of what held them back. And they've got Drake May, who's, as we sit here today, probably finalist at a lot of people's preseason Heisman rankings for 2023. But the defense has to offer anything. And they only had 14 turnovers as a defense in 2022. The one thing we know Antavius Lane does is just find his way around the football. So I do think there's a fit there that... You know, I don't know that he's going to necessarily fix all the problems they had on defense this past year all by himself, but I do think he can be an impact guy that will step up in those key moments, and that might be all they need to turn a couple of the losses they had, even if they give up some points, into wins and keeping their hopes alive. So I do think it's a spot he's going to where they're going to be happy to have him. I think so, too. I think everybody who left went to a place where you look at that and say, yeah, you know, that that totally makes sense to me. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll definitely see what happens with those guys. I'm sure we'll be following just like we have the last couple of years with guys who transfer out. And, you know, we'll also be following to make sure that Georgia State can replace all this production. Meanwhile, on the additions side, former UConn wide receiver Darius Bush has committed to Georgia State. Bush is out of former Panther basketball standout Malik Benlevy's high school, Jenkins in Savannah, and will have three years of eligibility here. He only appeared in five games over his two seasons in stores. So, gentlemen, thoughts about Bush? Yeah, this is a guy I alluded to when I was talking about there was an addition this week, uh, a transfer wide receiver. I would caution people to say that they brought him in right now because it's like, oh, got to pull the trigger on this receiver to replace Jamari Thrash because a guy that doesn't have a collegiate catch replacing a guy that just had 1,100 receiving yards in a single season, I, I don't think it's a like for like. I think it's a guy that they're getting still as an underclassman. He's a guy coming home, hasn't really been able to contribute at the college level yet, but he was a three-star receiver out of high school, had a handful of FCS offers, or sorry, had a handful of FBS offers, including Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, and now of the Sun Belt, Southern Miss, all conference opponents. So obviously there was something at the G5 level that a fair amount of teams thought he could stick there. Uh, I'm kind of tempering expectation just because I don't really know, don't have a lot to go off of, but that's where I'm at is that you've got three years of eligibility and, you know, we didn't really know what Robert Lewis was going to be until he kind of popped. And it's kind of the same when Jukai's Cradle came in and Thrash was kind of thrust into wide receiver one a little early in 2021 because of the injuries to Sam Pickney and Cornelius McCoy. But he also was a little bit meteoric in just how quickly he came on. And so might be another guy that as he gets here to Atlanta and gets comfortable in the offense can contribute down the line for sure. I'll give you a defense comp for that because I feel like Shamar McCollum was another guy who did that where he was coming in, replacing somebody who very clearly uh, filled a role for Georgia State, a, a, an elite level talent. 
and you know you kind of come in and say Jordan Strawn for clearing up the day. Jordan Strawn in South Carolina. Yes. Um, and then you kind of look at Shamar McCollum's first year and you're like, eh, he, you know, didn't really impress. Um, but I will caution and say it is very possible that Bush doesn't have the tape that, you know, we would love to see in a transfer, but could still be an impact guy for Georgia State. That's all I wanted to say about that. Yeah. And I don't know the timeline because he obviously just committed and everyone's back and getting ready for spring. So I don't know the situation with him enrolling now or not. Obviously, if he has to wait until the summer to enroll, it would be a kind of a leg down for 2023 because part of the allure of getting a transfer in is getting him in going through spring practice. But I don't know enough at this point to say for sure whether that's the case. They might be able to squeeze him in. Not sure exactly how all of that eligibility stuff works in those situations. I'm not sure a lot of people do because the portal is still very, very new in the form that it's in for a lot of people. So we'll see how that transpires as uh, we get into spring practice, looking out for seeing if there's that number out there uh, when we look at the roster. So speaking of spring practice, actually today, as of the recording of this podcast, we finally got a date for the spring game. And it's early this year. Was it was it March 9th? I think Thursday night. March 9th. Yeah. Practice getting underway, I believe, on the 22nd of February, mm-hmm. which I think they're getting it all in ahead of the spring break. I remember last year it started or sorry, I think it's starting on the February 13th. Last year it started on February 22nd. It feels a lot earlier this year, and it is a good bit earlier, but I think it's because they're getting it all done before the spring break. Well, that'll be interesting to see. Definitely. I think last year last year was like the first week of April, maybe. And it's been even later. It was it's been toward the end of April in the past. So that's gonna be a it's gonna be interesting. Should be a fun time, of course. Uh we'll most likely be there to cover all of that. But before we get off of football, we did also learn of our 2023 West division crossover opponents. Recently we have a uh, versus Troy in center park stadium and then at Louisiana as well. Of course, a uh, full schedule with dates comes out on March 1st and then we'll know everything else then. But gentlemen, any other thoughts about that? I have a little bit of questions about, you know, Louisiana going forward. Obviously they went to a bowl this past season under Coach Desermo in his first season replacing Billy Napier, but jury's still out for me as to where that program is going after losing such a successful coach. And so I don't know, even that one being on the road, if that's like the worst draw, like it might turn out to be a team that is a winnable game. I think it was probably a winnable game if they had played this year, even with Georgia State's issues. Uh, but you look at it and you're playing a bowl team in Louisiana and hosting the best team in the Sun Belt this year in Troy, it's not a great draw. It's adding to the, you're looking for grains of optimism after a four and eight season and losing guys in the transfer portal. It doesn't seem like Georgia State has been blessed with a particularly lucky schedule, but you know, as we sat here last year, when the crossovers got announced, you looked at it and it was like, oh, Southern Miss might be tough on the road. They seem like they're trending up. And you looked at ULM as a game that Georgia State was going to have in the bag. It's a home game against ULM. And those results went inverse to reality or, you know, expectations. So it's really too early to say for sure. Uh, But definitely, if you were looking for, all right, they're going to settle in and they'll have these games. uh, It doesn't seem like a nice slate with the West. But I'd also just say the West seems pretty good. I think they very quickly have caught up, if not surpassed the East, when it kind of felt like it would be the East show for forever, the Sun Belt. 
props to the programs in that side for really ticking up in 2022 and changing the narrative a good bit. Yeah, it's weird because, you know, I feel like we do this exercise with Georgia State schedule every year, um, just trying to find like the silver linings and the holes in the schedule. Because um, I, I think it is both fair and not fair to suggest that Georgia State would just flat out lose both of these games. But I don't think, th- I think that does a disservice to one. It's college football. Anything can happen on any given Sunday, uh, Saturday, excuse me. I got the NFL on the brain. Um, you know, anything can happen. And it's all about what guys show up and when they show up. But I think the other thing, the other point that I don't think you said was it really matters when these games happen. I think the the tricky part for Georgia State the past few years has been not only did they get tough draws, but when kind of the schedule happened. And like, like I mean, we talked about it all year, that Coastal Carolina game that they played uh, right after the Charlotte game on the coastal game was on the Thursday or the, it was, I know it wasn't a Saturday game. Yeah. It was on the Thursday. Yeah. If, if that game happens, even on Saturday that week, Georgia state probably doesn't play how they did. And, you know, obviously you got to look at the results and the results speak for themselves, but, and the Sunbelt is, is a conference that plays midweek games. Like those aren't going away anytime soon. But if, if if this is a situation where you've got Troy kind of in the middle stretch of the season, right after the bye, or if you've got Louisiana at home, you know, uh, on the week of like homecoming or the, you know, the last game of the season, you probably feel a lot better about both of those games than if it's Troy in the middle week right after conference play is done. Or if it's, you know, Georgia State goes to LSU and then comes home and faces Louisiana or something like that. So... You know, I, the t- the timing is something that I'm going to be looking forward to when the schedule releases on March 1st, because that honestly is just as important as who the actual opponents are. Yes, most definitely, though. Louisiana is a road game, so maybe back to back wouldn't be bad. Maybe they can just take residence in Louisiana. For that. No, I, I do think that looking at the schedule and I was putting some of this on Twitter. It's either going to be a bye week the week of September 23rd after Georgia State plays Charlotte, or it will be a road trip to Coastal or Louisiana based on the teams they have on the schedule and who is open those weeks. I don't know how beneficial it is to have a bye that early in the season. I would actually wager it's not particularly useful to have it that early. So I think you'd almost want a game. But if you do play that week, we know based on just how everything shakes out that it will be a road game to start Sunbelt play at that point. And, uh, whether that's a good time or bad time to play Louisiana, if that's who it is, we won't know until the season kind of gets rolling. And that's the other part of it is that, you know, I think Georgia State picked the worst time to play App State or got the, the worst time to play App State picked for them this year because they were coming off getting absolutely just handled by Texas State on the road, which doesn't happen to them. And I think after starting to have that happen to them again, you saw the response in that game. And we don't need to talk about that game really at all ever again. But that was a situation where just I think the timing played a part because I think if they had played them the week that Texas State played them, they might have been in the headspace where they were more gettable. But because of the way things play out, you know, that is part of it at the end of the day. And that's why I also wouldn't stress too much about, you know, oh, you're playing Troy and you've got to go to this team and this team this year. I think some of it also is, you know, when you're playing them really can dictate it and make a game that seems daunting as we sit here in January less daunting when we get there in 
September, October, November. All right, let's go ahead and shift gears and talk about basketball. And boy, is there a lot to discuss here. An 0-2 week in Louisiana two weeks ago, a 65-53 loss to Troy, and then a big turnaround 100-66 win over Coastal Carolina to snap the three-game skid and get back to 9-9 on the season. Panthers are 2-4 in conference play ahead of a four-game road trip that starts this week. So, gentlemen, uh, what do you want to unpack about these past four games? Yeah, no points for guessing which game we'll probably spend the most time talking about of those four. Uh, I think we'll spend a good bit of the time talking about the win. Uh, I wanted to briefly touch on the road trip to Louisiana first because it was obviously two weeks ago and we have really six games to talk about because we're also going to preview the upcoming week as well. Uh, The negatives of going without a pod, not going to spend as much time, but I think the one thing you can take from those games is that you can't go down 15 on the road and win many games. And so it was kind of useful. Uh, the, the team only had to learn one lesson from that road trip because in both those games, they got down. Uh, they were down 15 at the half in the Saturday game against Louisiana, and they were down most of the game against ULM, and it got as big as 19 with under eight, nine minutes to go. And they made a comeback in that game, but just the hole was way too big. And it was the same on Saturday. They played... I think better than Louisiana in the second half, but they weren't 15 points better. And so they lost those two. Uh, David, any lingering things from those two games trip to the Bayou? No, I mean, you said it correctly. Uh, there's a lot of good individual performances, I suppose you could say. You know, Brendan Tucker was doing that thing where him and Jermaine Mann, I, we'll talk about it when we talk about the Coastal win, but they just love to have those games where they just say, I'm going to get to my shot, I'm going to hit my shot, and they just end up with more points than you. You just look up and they're just at 20 points. Um, I mean, there's not really much you can take away because you're right. Don't get down by 15 points. Like you, dig, Having to dig out of holes does not make you a good team. And I think in years past, there have been... Uh, there has been Georgia State teams that have gotten down. Um, and they found ways to dig out of the holes, but that doesn't mean that that's something that you should be doing frequently, you know? So yeah, yeah, I I definitely agree with you on that. It's also about the size of it because this team has made comebacks. I mean, they didn't win the Georgia tech game, but they came back that late in that one. They came back late and won against Mercer. They fought back, you know, in, I I think also the Belmont game, a little bit of a late game comeback, but it's, it's the, the size of the hole. And it's just, you can't let it spread to that big a one and try and come back. And, you know, the good feelings didn't get much, you know, they they weren't much closer after the Troy game because, you know, kind of fought hard through the first 35, 40 minutes or kind of fought hard in the first 25, 30 minutes of that one. Ended up taking a six point lead. And then over the final 13 minutes, Troy finished on an extended 27-9 run and just kind of sat on the game, forced a lot of open court turnovers and got some easy buckets. And I think at that point, it was easy to be discouraged because it had been three straight losses. And after coming back home and even competing for a bit of the time in this Troy game, things just got way out of hand. And just at a certain point, the team with the mentality and the right kind of energy was Troy and it wasn't really close. And that's why the game kind of got out of hand to me. 
Yeah, and it, <laughs> looking at the box score, it's very funny to me that they played as poorly as they did against Troy because it's completely different from what they did against Coastal. And I mean, it's like the Troy game looked like more akin to what Georgia State has looked like this year. Um, which I mean, it, it's it is frustrating because there's talent on the team, you know, and like Troy, Troy played good defense, like you said, like the turnovers. I don't know that Georgia State has had many twenty turnover games this season, um, but like I don't know, the Panthers got to find a way to be better. They just absolutely do, and I mean, they like they did. They didn't go on a four game losing streak, so like I said, you can see the talent is there, um, but it's 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 frustrating when they play like they did against Troy because. Obviously, Troy had a good defense. They had a good defensive game plan. Um, and, you know, Georgia State didn't shoot well from downtown, something that we've talked about a lot. But I also know that they didn't shoot well on their two-point attempts either. So, you know, maybe it was just a cold night, probably what it ended up being. And, you know, there's things that they can work out and figure out from there. But it's, you know, it's it's frustrating when they have games like this. I think maybe the nightmare scenario for Georgia State fans didn't happen because I think Nelson Phillips definitely had some moments in his return to Georgia State. Um, he had a couple of steals, part of those 20 turnovers that you, a couple of those plays you saw. It's like, I remember that guy when he was wearing blue and white. They definitely showed his athleticism, but he didn't hit a three. He was over six from three. Uh, he only finished with seven points. So I think like the nightmare would be you lose by double digits to Troy and Nelson Phillips drops like 30 on you and gets eight steals. And it's like the guy who was on your team that you, you liked really just pours it on. Um, I guess they avoided that particular fate, but uh, not a lot positive to draw from there. It just didn't seem like it clicked and... I think we'd be sitting here a lot differently if Saturday didn't happen because it felt like kind of a more of a, the trend and just the, the offense not being able to do enough. And I think the Troy game taught you the same thing that the JMU game taught you the same thing as the ULM game taught you that we can already say for sure that in this league, that you are not unique in being able to grind it out and play these low scoring games and kind of like eat nails for breakfast type stuff. Like Georgia state's probably going to play a fair amount of these games, just the way that their offense has been for most of the year. Um, obviously if they choose to play like they did against coastal all the rest of the season, answer is going to change. There it's not going to necessarily be the same, but the way they've been for most of the year and most of the games, I think they're going to play more games like that. And I don't know that they have any kind of advantage for being in more of these games because I think you've seen even a JMU team that had been just like shooting the lights out and outscoring everybody was more than willing to get dirty in that game and kind of beat Georgia State their own style and end up pulling away comfortably in the end. And Troy the same way where their shot wasn't falling either and they were not really having much work offensively except especially in the second half, they started getting to the free throw line a little bit. And they, you know, they had a couple of guys like Zay Williams, six of eight from the floor, really efficient night. Um, but they really didn't have much to write home about either offensively, but they made it work at the defensive end and they forced those turnovers and Georgia state only forced nine Troy turnovers. And so when you're sitting there, 20 turnovers, four and only nine forced, both of those numbers are several away from the targets you would have for each side of the ball. And that kind of tells the story of the game. And there's more teams like that on the schedule, you know, 
Old Dominion, kind of the same way to play this week. And it'll be a road game. Same with Georgia Southern on Saturday. App State, you know, makes their bacon be in that team that just you hate to go play and it's going to grind you down. And so the offense has to keep being what you saw on Saturday because I think a big takeaway from early weeks in the Sun Belt has been, yeah, you've played some games like this. Maybe you've played more games in that style than some of the teams you're playing, but they seem more than up to the task of getting down in the nitty gritty with you. And it's no guarantee that having more experience in those type of games is going to lead to anything good for Georgia state. But you know, enough about that game and all. I was honestly just kind of sitting there up in my stoop uh, in the media table in the convocation center at the coastal game. And it was like kind of an out of body experience just because it has been waste. It had been I don't even know how many games since they had an offense performance like that. Cause even last year, the offense was not much for most of the season. They were really struggling at that end as well. It had really been until the season before that, that it had been kind of an offensive juggernaut type team. And it just, every shot was going in. It was just one of those days for every player. And it's been a season where it hasn't been one of those days for more than one player at a time in most games. George State hasn't even had maybe two guys really feeling it at the offensive end in the same game, and they had three or four guys against Coastal. They had all of them. I mean, honestly, yeah. like, I, I feel like everybody who took, you know, I mean, bless Caleb Scott and, you know, Khalid Brooks, but other than that, everybody scored. So, you know, I, it really felt like everybody had the hot hand and was feeling it. Um, oh, wait. I think correction for the yeah Caleb scored Joe Jones and yes. Jamal Kleist did not score and Edward Nanoko Namoko yeah sorry working on some bad information here um, but I mean everybody looked really good and the funny thing too is you could really see the same type of offense that Georgia State has been running all year. Like, uh, the funny thing to me was that Coastal wasn't doing anything crazy, Georgia State wasn't reacting to it in any sort of crazy way they just it just started hitting shots like it, it's really that simple um you know i wanted to give a special shout out i guess to jaheem hudson who i mean he dominated like I, there's no other way he did what he wanted inside he did what he wanted outside you know had a decent line uh he had a decent night at the free throw line and he kind of embodied that brendan tucker jermaine man you know mantra that i have talked about so much this season where he just got to his shot wherever he wanted to shoot it and you know made it and i'll, I'll ask you brady did you make of anything or like what were your thoughts when you saw that duan wasn't starting because before i say my piece on it i want to get your take on it yeah, I don't know. I, I think he was dealing with something. and I don't know if maybe he didn't practice the day before. And so they were going to see because he ended up playing 26 minutes. So I thought it was an injury thing just based on him not being in the lineup. He was sporting some tape on his knee. Um, so I thought it was that. But when he played 26 minutes and played, frankly, as well as he did, I don't know if it was a thing where they were just monitoring it and seeing checking in later, seeing if maybe he needed to have some less time on the court, but seemed like everything was fine. And it really got to the point where they couldn't take him off the court because he was just making the offense churn like you'd hope for. He finished 16 points, 11 assists to one turnover. And, you know, I don't think it's the only game he's played like that because I think there's been some games where he's 
gotten some good ball movement, gotten some good passes to open guys and the shots haven't fallen. So I think the 11 assists is maybe more of a function of just the shots were falling in this game. Uh, But I do think that we haven't seen him play better in that version of himself. Like I think that he did play his best game as just the floor general that we've seen him. And you saw that reflected in the number as well. Like I, I, it's it's funny that came in the game that he didn't start and that it seemed like there was maybe an injury concern before the game, but he looked good. He looked really good. And I think, I don't know that I still have that concern about him because he played 26 minutes and looked as good as he did. I agree. I agree with everything that you said, but I want to shift the focus on not him because I really liked what I saw out of Georgia State's ball movement when he wasn't on the court. And it's not something that I have at all thought this season. And it's really hard to gauge with these assist numbers. You know, Dwan had 11 of the 26. Um, Everybody else, obviously, you can do math, had 15. But, I mean, if you look at everybody else who's getting assists, like Evan Johnson had five assists. You know, Brendan Tucker had five assists. You know, you got Jermaine Mann got an assist. Jaheim Hudson had two assists. It's and if you you watch the game, you really got to see one Georgia State move again about the same as they always have been moving all season with the ball and without the ball. But it just it was spread around in such an aesthetically pleasing way. And I mean, it was leading to baskets, you know, and. The the weird part about it was they still got a, a decent amount of offensive rebounds. I mean, they got seven offensive rebounds. It's not like a in a game that's a little bit closer. You probably want some more. Um, and you know, when you're shooting sixty four percent from the floor, you're probably not having a ton of opportunities for offensive rebounds. Um, but I don't know. It was just it was something that I noticed that. I, I can't say that I want Dwan to not start because, like you said, he did well in the time that he was on the court. Um, but yeah, it was just it was just something that I noticed. Like I, I just wanted to, you know, point that out because if they play off the ball and if they can facilitate like they can with Dwan, I mean, the offense will break out of the rut that they've been in. Honestly, God, I'm not going to say that they'll score a hundred every single week, you know. And part of that could just have been a product of Coastal's defense not you know, being up for the task, but yeah, they definitely showed me something on Saturday. Yeah. Well, that is something to mention is that I think that you have to be careful getting carried away with one game sample sizes anyway, no matter who you're playing, but coastal's defense. Granted, I think this game did a number on coastal's defensive numbers. Uh, So I don't know what, I can't quote what they looked at for this game, but they're now at 288 in defensive efficiency per Kempom.com. They are you know, bottom 30 in forcing turnovers as a defense. They only force turnovers on just under 16% of possessions. National average is 18.8%. Uh, now giving up 35.8% from three point, which is uh, 275. Again, several points, uh, a couple per- percentage points worse than the national average and it's not the best defense Georgia State's faced. In fact, it's probably one of the worst defenses in the Sun Belt. Currently, it is the worst through conference play. Granted, that's only been six games. So that in mind, you have to at least say 
aside from the the obvious that you said that you're not going to score 100 a game, this was probably your best opportunity to have that type of game where things get better. And it's I'm not saying it's a mirage, but you're going to have to go do it against some better defenses as we get into, especially this road trip. But the other thing I would say is just they haven't had a game like that all year. If they haven't a game, had a game like that since basically like 2018, which is the last time they scored 100 against the Division One team, it was Louisiana uh, in the sports arena. And I think that there's a real chance that having a good confidence game like that can unlock some stuff, even more than just, okay, they were moving better off the ball. Other guys were facilitating, uh, you know, the stuff with Dewan coming off the bench, although he ended up playing starters minutes. Yeah, he didn't start, but he played among the top five minutes. So I, I don't know how much of a thing that is personally, but all of that stands on its own is just the basketball stuff. But when you move past just the X's and O's and all the strategy, like they hadn't had any reason to really feel good about the offensive side of things because they haven't had those shots go in and all of that builds on each other. And especially when you lose three games in a row in conference, like all of it can kind of culminate in not being in a good headspace where, you know, implicitly or explicitly, you're just not feeling confident about your shots. And so I don't think that you can outrule the idea that overrule the idea that this game could be important as a one game sample in that it kind of writes the ship there and that I don't think they're going to suddenly be averaging 64% from the floor every game, but they can get a little bit of improvement and kind of you have maybe a guy or two who's shot, they start feeling confident in and you have Brendan Tucker shooting closer to like 40% from three. You're not going to get five of seven every game, but if he's ticking back up in that range where he was at Charleston, that changes the offense. You know, if Jaheim has got his three going, or if he's got his just total floor game going, scoring career high in this game, and he starts continuing to add on to that, that changes the offense. And you know, you go on and on and on and just any of the guys continuing to build on this would improve the offensive prospects. And, you know, I said you, you can't just go into these games that are rock fights and expect to win them because teams are going to be ready for you. But I don't think the offensive improvement, I don't think you needed to start scoring 100 to have a chance in these games. Just things had to get a little bit better. And I think that the team is in a better place to have that improvement stick and you're talking about a game. If you're able to get into the seventies more games than not with the way this team plays defense, you're going to be in a good spot. And I don't think you'd comfortably say that it was a team you'd trust to get into the seventies. Most nights, the way the things have been trending, but now you see the offense potential and it's about doing it. Even if you weren't seeing every shot go in going forward. That's all that matters. Confidence is really important. And, you know, say what you want about sports, but I really believe in momentum and, you know, peaking at the right time. So hopefully this is something that kind of scoots Georgia State into a direction where they've been, you know, in years past. And of course, as promised, we have a basketball this week as well. ODU on Thursday night and then a trip to that team down south on Saturday. Gentlemen, thoughts on these two games? Yeah, I mean, I think that the perspective on this road trip does change a little bit after the Coastal game because I, I think after the Troy game, it's three straight and you didn't know how the game was going to go. And even if you beat Coastal, 
you weren't sure what one game was going to mean for changing the way things have been trending. And I still think playing four straight on the road like this is the toughest stretch they're going to have this season. And you know, you're sitting here at two and four, you don't need a tough stretch right now. You need to get some bankable wins to turn it around. But I definitely think that you feel different about this trip now because you've seen them come off of a high. And, you know, I, when I look at ODU, this first game after this, it feels like a game where if the shooting carries the way that it did, even if just for one game, it keeps tracking, might be a situation that you can scrabble enough points together on the road and win because ODU is also a team that plays at a pretty slow tempo. Uh, they average in the bottom 50 or so in average tempo in Division One, And they're not a prolific offensive team. You know, they're shooting 34% on threes, which is pretty decent above average, but very below average on two-pointers. They don't shoot free throws well. Uh, they don't turn the ball over much, but, you know, if they're not doing enough with those possessions, if not putting points on the board and you can keep that offense a little bit rolling, against them, that might be your opportunity. And so even saying you can't take too much from the Coastal game, if all they needed was to see the ball go in the net and they can keep that going for another game, if they're still playing kind of the the style they've been, this might be a game where they can somehow be the better offensive team in a game, which is crazy to say given how we've seen uh, them play. But obviously work to do to make that happen and going on the road you know, they haven't done that much, but they haven't won a game on the road yet this year. And so getting that clear, getting that milestone out of the way uh, would be a big plus for them. And two games in a row winning feels a lot better, sounds a lot better than three in a row losing. It's a good opportunity, you know. Uh, I, I'm not sure that ODU playing the similar style benefits them. You know, Georgia State when it comes to teams that Georgia State has beaten this year, they definitely like to, you know, be the tempo controllers. And so if ODU is also going to run a very slow tempo, it really might favor Georgia State, honestly. Um, Although I will say this, this is something I did mention the Coastal game. I think of recently, and this was definitely the case against Coastal, they've been picking their spots where they've been pushing it in transition. I think it's been working. And I think that maybe that whether that's a feeling out thing with Jonas and whether that's the on the court making the call after rebounds, but it feels like the tempo has been ticking up ever slightly, even if it's just in moments. And I think it's been a good thing. I think it has helped unlock some good looks offensively for Georgia State. So, you know, in saying that they play a similar style, if they don't want to play that style, if they want to trend a little bit faster, I think it might benefit them. And we'll see if it's a little blip or if that's more of a just as this team continues to grow, that's been a new development. But We'll see, I guess. It's so it's very funny you said that because you stole the words literally out of my mouth. I was going to say that Georgia State recently has shown an ability to nullify teams that want to slow it down and, you know, play a little bit better. Um, It's when teams have run like Louisiana and ULM, ULM, they wanted to run out much faster than Georgia State. But when Georgia State can control the tempo, they still kind of get out and transition a little bit better than they did earlier in the season. And I mean, that's that's important, you know, um, 
not every fast break points are kind of a misleading stat because if you, you know, get a rebound or something, it's no longer a fast break point. But Georgia State was running against Coastal. So, you know, if if Old Dominion is unable to stop Georgia State when Georgia State has the ball, the grinding mentality is not going to work. And I, I really do think that favors the Panthers, whether or not they go slow or not. And I don't know, I guess I hadn't really thought about this until I actually kind of looked at the numbers for this going into this game. But as head coach of Georgia Southern, Brian Berg has not beaten Georgia State. Georgia State has retaken advantage of the rivalry the last couple of seasons since he's been there. Uh, they're in a, I'd say, a decent spot. They are four and two, one of the joint leaders of the conference in the early going. Uh, they got a good win at home against a good Marshall team. And they got a uh, kind of a buzzer beater on the road against App on this past Thursday, which like I don't. You'll have to just watch the clip. Uh, I don't really understand App's game plan in this situation. It was a tie game, and they kind of let a guy just get unguarded to the rim, and he put up a layup to win the game. I don't think that this team is, you know, I, I expect a little bit of regression and I'm not just doing the rival thing there when I mentioned that, but I think that this is a better Georgia Southern team than Georgia state's played the last couple of years. I don't think it, it, by any means it, it matters that Berg has not beaten Georgia state. I don't think there's any kind of boogeyman there that's preventing that from happening. And it's going to be a test going down there for Hannah, especially going up from Norfolk. I think this is because the first road trip, you lost both games, but it wasn't had anything to do with the travel because it was the two Louisiana teams. It's just how it worked out. You don't get that benefit this time. You're going from one of the more north point of the conference all the way down to South Georgia in two days. And so this is the first time that they're really going to have to reckon with that tribal aspect. And it's a, a team that, you know, I think the one big difference that I see from this Georgia Southern team versus the last couple of years is they were very, very, very loose with the basketball, giving the ball away with turnovers a lot offensively the last couple of years. This year, they're in the top 30 in turnover percentage. And so that alone has made a big difference for them as they've been able to find a little bit more offense. And they're definitely one of those lunch pail teams. You're not going to be able to out-grit them in the same way that you weren't able to do with the other teams that beat you at it. Yeah, it's weird. You know, we're used to Georgia Southern teams who can shoot the three ball kind of well, and but we'll also turn over the ball. And this team it completely flip flops that. So um, it's always exciting when State plays Georgia Southern. Um, well, I say exciting. Um, it, it it can be exciting is what I should say, because 2019 wasn't fun. Um, but I mean, it'll be interesting. Like I. I don't want to say I like the Southern team, but I think the Southern team has surprised both myself and some other people who have followed the Sun Belt this year. Um, you know, we're about halfway through the full season, but, you know, kind of getting into the meat and potatoes of the conference season. And, you know, you look at the top of the Sun Belt standings and you'll see an Eagle logo. So maybe this weekend we'll finally put them and bring them back down to where people expected them to be. But for now they're, they're right there in the thick of things. So, you know, it would be lovely if Georgia state could fix that for them. Yeah. Kind of a reversal where, you know, there's been other seasons where Georgia state's been more of the top dog in the conference and some of these road trips to Statesboro haven't worked out for them. And they finally got over that hump uh, the year that uh, the coach hunters last year, when they went there, the final regular season game and wanted to win the conference. I guess uh, 
it seems like really hard to go too far, even two games down the road or a second game down the road because of just the different, you know, how differently this last Thursday versus this last, last Saturday went. And I do think a lot of how Thursday goes against ODU is going to tell me what could happen on Saturday because, you know, like I say, I think if you see a lot more of the good, whether the percentages stay where they were against Coastal, but if you see a lot of what was working against Coastal happen again on Thursday, feels like maybe you're talking about a team that's turned over a new leaf. Um, and if not, then maybe it's a flash in the pan and you're kind of back into what kind of offense are you going to get game to game when you head into the Saturday game. And so I really feel like this ODU game is kind of a crossroads moment for this team because they win this one, they'll get back above 500, which isn't any kind of marker except that it makes you feel good, especially after dropping a game under 500, uh, a couple you know, after the Troy game. You'd be back to three and four in the Sun Belt versus being two and five, and you'd have that real positive momentum that you've carried onto the road and over an absence of five days when you hadn't played heading into a rivalry game. And so... I really do think that this could be kind of a seminal moment for this Georgia State team and where they might end up this year just on Thursday night. All right. So, of course, you can find our coverage of the ODU and the Georgia Southern game on Panther Talk and on Twitter. Brady doing live tweets. Other than that, that's all we've got for you this week. Uh, of course, we do have a couple of events going on in Georgia State Athletics this week. The aforementioned men's basketball games. Again, that is Thursday night against Old Dominion in Norfolk, Virginia at 7 p.m. And then Saturday at that school down south at 3 p.m. from Hanner Fieldhouse. And then women are also playing in the Convocation Center on Thursday, 6.30 p.m. hosting Coastal Carolina. And then, of course, uh, Saturday at 2 p.m. hosting Old Dominion in the Convocation Center. And then men's and women's tennis getting into action again on Friday. Uh, men's tennis at Stetson in uh, DeLand, Florida at 3 p.m. Then women's tennis at Georgia Tech at 4. And then women's track and field taking on the Carolina Challenge in Columbia, South Carolina at 3 p.m. on a Friday and then continuing on Saturday. And then on Sunday, men's tennis playing USF in Tampa at 10 a.m. Other than that, that's all we've got for this week. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. Have a good one.